0: During the coronavirus crisis and lockdown, Rabbi Katz will be delivering an informal pre mincha study session on Zoom every day at 6.50 p.m. If you're interested in joining, please send an email to Rabbi Dkatz at gmail.com, indicating that you would like to be added to the Zoom meeting, and you'll then be sent the link to access the Zoom learning session. Welcome to Jewish history with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. Hi, it's Sunday, day after Shabbos agaral, Uh before Pesach, and wasn't planning to speak about anything, but you know it's funny how things transpire. Yesterday on Shabbos, like everybody else, was stuck at home by myself, and uh, I mean with my family. And so we have a lot of time in hand, spent a lot of time downstairs in the basement. where have my library, uh, especially after davening, because when I finish chakras, and most of the time I wait for the rest of the family to be ready, obviously. This is normal, probably in your schedule as well. And while I was davening, I have a room, you know, what I called a new room. where I have a lot of books in there. And so I, my eye sort of descended on a certain safer that I ordinarily wouldn't pick up, and I picked it up, and that stirred me to start reading and thinking, and I said, you know, this is basically the equivalent of a mini, mini Shabbos, I got a uh, speech, and, uh, I gave it some thought, I wrote it out, and even though it's not at all like a Shabbos, a speech, usually, there's a no me. you know, in my show, we do like three hours, sometimes more, four hours, on the Shabbos, on a afternoon, so yesterday was like weird, for all the rabbis not doing anything, uh, I mean, it's in the afternoon, nobody has to come, you know, and, uh, Usually it's more that's a, a more lumdishe type thing. Uh, that's the only time I do that actually in my show. But uh, this was giving me some uh, food for thought ideationally, and I figured, what the heck, I'll share it with you. I want to say that uh, today's uh, lecture, today's lecture, today's podcast, this whole post chabas I got all mini speech. That's all it is. Is uh, actually being sponsored by a very good friend of mine, Richard Kleidman, who wrote to me today. Moved out of Baltimore, but I think I've seen him on the Zoom. You know, I'm giving these Zoom talks every day to my show and friends, and, uh, and I espied him. And it turns out that he has Yerzev for his dad, um, I guess uh, a grandfather, rather, uh, for, on the day after Pesach. So we're going to do it the days before Pesach. And uh, so this is being sponsored in his memory as Chaim Meir Ben Mordechai Alevi. and he wrote me a tiny little piece, which is very interesting. He said the family are lived from the Minsk area. Well, I know what that means, because that's where I come from also. And uh, Minsk, Pansy is not so close to each other, but I actually I was in both places. But I know to Americans it sounds like the same. And uh, he says there's a family story that an ancestor been drafted and served in the army of Tsar Russia, in the navy of Tsar Russia, hmm. and afterwards he was granted ownership of a village. That sounds like a Bubba Mice, like I never heard of a Jew being granted ownership of a village, but in Tsarist Russia, any screwball story is possible. I would just venture to guess, this is just a total guess, maybe it means that the owner of a village gave him some special privileges in that village. Uh, you know, that I could possibly hear. But uh, anyway, it's a picaresque uh, account. So uh Nisham Shaban as we say, and as I always mention, especially in this uh, context right now, I'm grateful for all the sponsorships we get, as you can all imagine. Everybody's in the same boat. Uh and so I wanted to so anyway, I was sitting down in my uh one of my larger rooms, you might call it a library room, and uh right after davening or in the middle of davening be Frank, and I saw a safer that looked at for years. I used to be, uh, there used to be a rabbi in Baltimore, Rabbi Bach, Rabbi Yeomenbach, Benjamin Bach, who was very close friends with my family. It's the shoulder I grew up in when I was a little kid. And he was a big, he was a big, excuse me, and he was a big Talmud Chacham, a her from long ago, I mean from Europe. And a uh, modern guy also, a very, very big Tom Chacham, expert in getting and that sort of thing. And uh, when he passed away, and we were very close. And my family, his close, we were extremely close. My father and him and, my mother and mrs. Bach and so forth and uh, when he passed away so his wife taught uh, I'm going back 30 years now something like that so his wife invited me in the house to take whatever books I wanted you know I don't think his family was interested in most of his farm something like that especially the weird ones and I specialize in weird this farm and uh, so at that time I took a whole bunch of things and I've used them and one I didn't use so much was from the early '60s, Rabbi Gorin. Remember, he got controversial later when he was Chief Rabbi Israel. At that time, he was Chief Rabbi of the Israeli Army. He was a big Eloy. Uh, kind of screwed up later on in the '70s when he became the Chief Rabbi, but it was very controversial once upon a time. On the other hand, the guy was an Eloy. He knew a lot. So uh, he has a thing on the holidays that he put out in the early '60s. Uh, you know, I said Pirkei Moedot or something like that. I have the. I have it here somewhere. It's called. Uh, Torah Tamo you know. Uh, and it's not also Zionist or anything like that, although it certainly hovers underneath the, uh, if I can use that term, uh, underneath, the, in the background. But uh, nevertheless, they're very interesting, and the guy was a, uh, a Bucky Bishas. I mean, you know, Babu Yishomi, and that, that he was. And a he, he really was. So, uh, as, as well as other things. He was a Talmud Chacham. Man, I actually 100% agree with the Hashkafas, but nevertheless, it was big big time. And make a long story short, I opened at random a thing called Pesach Adoros and something like that. Pesach Mitzrayim. At first, I thought it's one of those usual things like if you sign in the Gemara, there's a Gemara, Mishnah, there's after, Mabe, Pesach Mitzrayim, Pesach Adoros, you know what I mean? The original Passover was not identical with the way it's celebrated afterwards because, uh, you know, the original Pesach is, uh, you know, you... you you smear the door with uh, blood, and the mosnechem Chagurim You know, you have your belt on. I mean, that's not a din in the later the way that he celebrated Pesach, but it turns out that's not what he was talking about. I'll say it again. There is a gemara, the whole discussion about that. Uh, but rather, it was something different, and that was and it. Caught my interest, and he says, "How many Pesach adoros? How many Pesachs? How many Pesach do we find in the Bible?" Turn uh, the imtsub. Turn In other words, that's a fair question that I threw out with you, and you might want to... Everything I'm saying today, I hope in the way that you'll look it up yourself, give you something to talk about, especially if you're stuck in the house, like we're all going to be on Pesach, you know, it's... uh You'll put the old time on your hands. And uh, one of the things you might want to do is take a look at the history and the meta-history, which is always my interest in the uh, Passover, and I mean that in the literal sense of the Biblical Passovers. How many of you do you find? And, uh... uh Let's put it this way. They did carbon Pesach in, in, in Mitzrayim, and then they left. And then what happened? You tell me what happened. The answer is, they did a Pesach the following year. Correct? Um, take a look at Midbar and Baloscha. It's Shlishim and Baloscha. Ba'idah b'asham al Moshe midbar Sinai b'asham a'ashinah t'zeh sam'ayetz Mitzrayim limor. The God speaks to Moshe in Midbar Sinai. In the second year, in other words, this is the, the Nissan following the Exodus from Egypt. Saying, I want everybody to do a karm pesach, and it goes on to say, Barba ben bram tasu, so and so forth, and so on. You, I bet you that most people is, is, is skip by that. Probably don't even aware of it. The only thing we know is that's the occasion of pesach sheni. When the people who are telling me say we need a pesach sheni, that everybody remembers. But the very fact that you need a pesach itself, I bet you a lot of people don't remember. And bus is going on over there. Uh, that's one. But it doesn't mention after then any the others until you get to Joshua, right? So let's put it this way. So what happened to the Jewish people in the 40 years that they were in the desert? So did they do any other Karm Pesach? I just told you, they did one at the foot of Har Sinai uh, immediately after erecting the Mishkan. Uh, Hashem is telling them to do so. So this is very interesting. Rashi quotes the Sifri. In the Sifri basically uh, you have two opinions. One is they didn't do any others. This is the only one they did. After the other 39 years or whatever it was in the desert they didn't do any others. And this is shal Yisro. As a disgrace to call Why exactly is disgrace? Doesn't exactly say. There's a lot of speculation. There's a long Ramban and in the Chazals and all that uh, and in the Tosfas it's, uh, I'll get back to that in a second. But one opinion is they didn't do it and get over it. Uh, the Rajvi, Shem ben Yochai, disagrees. They're in the Sifri, and he says, no, 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 the Jewish people didn't do one every year, but the Sheva Levi did. So that's just interesting. Uh, it's it's like today, most Jews don't have a Seder, but the Orthodox do, and a couple of others. I, I mean, I realize the Seder is widely practiced relative to the practice of Judaism, but there's a lot of people out there Jewish I'm talking about. There's a lot of people out there that don't go to an Obama Seder or any other Seder, you know. And I'm putting aside the question of some people now say like this. I know people like this. I'll do the Seder the following week. It's more convenient for my family. <laughs> you know, we, have, we live in the times that we live. So, according to the Sifri itself, let's say the Tanakhama, nobody did a Seder except at one time in Bamidbar, And according to Rishon Ben Yochai, the, the Levis did. The other tribes didn't. But the Levis did. Which is just Interesting. Now, uh, are there any other opinions on this subject? So, if you do a little research, you see there's a ptosis in or in Gimel, I think, where the re says, going back and forth, I don't want to get too technical over here, that's not my uh, point, there's not really a Shabbat the Um uh, But tosis is something interesting. They, the, the, according to the re, you know, the re bala the re the Jews did do a karm pesach every year, but in a flawed manner. He said, "Marie, also also el Echad. The only right one they did was the one in Bamidbar. But you know that I just mentioned before. The other thirty-nine years they didn't do it exactly right. What does he mean by exactly right? It's not clear. It has to do with you, whether you hold Milas Zakharov of Avodah or not. That it says in the Torah. In order to do a Karm Pesach, you have to make sure that all members of your family are circumcised." And uh, that all your Avodim are circumcised, and if you fail to do that, that can maybe be Makkah. It's a Makhlogis Tanoim. Whether it can be Makkah or not, um, so he gets into that. And the Mashmoth and Tosa seems to imply over here in, in Yavamis that if circumstances didn't allow you to do it, then it wouldn't be Makkah. That's a whole discussion of balamdas business that belongs in a, in a Shabbos Shogarah speech. But that's what Tosa is saying over here. In Ayin Beis, I think it is, Ayin Gimel, uh, in Yamobis. Now, Minaswara, at the time of the, uh, let's put it this way, at the time that the Ba'midbar story happened, you know, when Hashem told him to make do a, 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 a bris, I'm sorry, do a carbon pesach, so I'm sure the babies were still being circumcised. I mean, they were still at the foot of Sinai. Literally, they were there. And the reason the Gemara says that, one of the reasons the Gemara said they didn't do it is, it was a health reason. Ruch You need a good wind. Ruch tzfonis menasheves. That if the wind is going, that's a euphemism for saying that if the weather is good, then it's not a medical problem for the kid that's being circumcised. But if it is not a ruch then there is. So this would support the theory that the milah z'charev is me'akev, because in other words, you're saying, yeah, the first year when the conditions, the health, the health conditions were still good, so they did a karm Pesach. But the other 39 years, when they were in bad shape after the maraglim and so forth, and remember, they were 38 years in one spot, and it was bad weather and things like that. So uh, then all the babies that were born could not be circumcised, and that would be a reason. That was a technical reason why they didn't offer a karm Pesach. the other 39 years, uh, you know, I cannot forbear to say, ruch von des <laughs> Menashevus, you know, just begs for a Yonus uh, and Apeschitz or somebody like that for homiletical interpretation, because Ruach Sfonis literally means the wind from the north, and the wind from the north is a healthy wind. That's what the Chazal, the Gemara, always say. I'm not in the Middle East, and you're not in the Middle East. But, you know, it always talks about the Ruach Sfonis being something positive. But Ruach Sfonis can also mean uh, from the word Matzpun, from the, uh, what shall I say, for the conscience. In other words, the Sfon, Tzafun, is... Uh, a word we use in biblical talk for the Eitzahar, You know what I'm saying? And the reason for the Eitzahar is uh, called the Tzahun is because he likes to hide. If you wanted to eat something tref, just I'm just giving an example. If you want to eat something treif, and you realize, you know, the Eitzahar is now tempting me to do something treif, if you're aware that the Eitzahar is doing it, then you probably won't do it. Rather, the specialty Yetzirah is to make it sound like he's not there, and you want this on your own. You understand? And uh, if you want it on your own, then you don't give any thought to whether it's right or wrong until after it's over, and then it's too late. So the Ruch Tzavonis is often referred to as, as a euphemism for the Ra, for the Sahara, which is kind of interesting in connection over here, because, you know, the Ruch Tzavonis Menashev, it sounds like if people were aware... That the wind is there. People are weird as it's funny uh, that the Yetzar is present and then that will prevent them from doing the sins. That's something you can uh, muse about if you want to. Now, to move on, in the Nach itself, in the Vim Tzubim, we find referred historically the three Passovers as far as I can locate. There's uh, the one of Yoshua, there's one of Chiske, and the one of Yoshiaho. Now, again, Yoshua versus Yoshio. Yoshua is Joshua, and Yoshio is King Josiah, later King of Judah. All three are mentioned, but they're unusual. They're not normal, exactly. In the case of Yehoshua, there's a whole description in the beginning of the Book of Joshua, that once they cross the Jordan River, and it takes them a few days, and then they have a mass circumcision. You'll probably recall this story. And then they do the carbon Pesach. And it says that they hadn't done one for years and years. And obviously, the fact they mentioned they had to circumcise everybody is what's leading to the, uh, the reason in the Chazal, that the reason they didn't do the carbon in the desert is because the kids weren't circumcised. It says those words in the book of Yahshua. But uh, it's very interesting. Uh, Tosa says, Heche This is Tosan and Kedushin. There's a, a long Tosis which is all about this very question. It's like, it takes away from the Gemarabar and Lama Zayin on the base, and it, it gets just totally into the question of what kind of Pesach did they do, or not do, in the desert and afterwards. And... He's talking back and forth of reasons why they did and why they didn't, like this Milas Sacher business and other things like that. One of the reasons that Tosa suggests is because it says in the Torah, Hayaki Arts, that you should only do the Carmen Pesach once you get to the land of Israel, meaning once you uh, get to it and settle it. And when Yeshua did it, they hadn't conquered it yet. They had just crossed the Jordan. They were about to engage in the war that was of conquest. So at that time, they really weren't necessarily to do it. They didn't have to do it. So why didn't they do it anyway? So it was unusual, it's a hurashab. shah. Gam Pesach Pesach also be Yoshua, How could they do karm Pesach before they had settled in Israel It was a special case, Hashem told them do it now. So it's very similar to what you had in the desert, do it now. So uh, it wasn't it wasn't a regular karm pesach, but they did it anyway. It's just interesting that they mentioned this in the in the Tanakh but it doesn't conform to what we understand to be the rules of Karim Pesach. The other one is in Chizkiyot, which I spoke about last year. I think I probably did a podcast on it last year, so you probably could see it. And Khiskio's Passover was sort of the definitional of the Harashah. You know, in other words, everything about it was weird. He tampered with the calendar, if you remember the story. I don't want to cause it over again. He became king when his father dropped dead on, the, on Rosh Chodesh uh, Nissan, and then he needed a long time to clean up the temple with a chock full of idols. So therefore, by the time it's over, they just declared Adar Shani. You know what I mean? In other words, uh, even though they're not supposed to, but they did, and therefore, uh, he did it in a, in a he, he, he uh, what's the right word? He tampered with the usual laws. There's a mission about it in Psalm, some of you will remember. Um, he did a pace up that lasted two weeks. If you look it up there in DeRayam, which you know, is Balthosev, he allowed people that were Tome, even though they were in a, a minority, to go into carbon Pesach for NCSY purposes. These were people from the northern tribes who never heard about Pesach, and then he lived at the time at the very end of the Kingdom of the North, the tragic end, and the Berlin Wall that separated people from north and south have been taken down, and now they had an opportunity for the first time in hundreds of years to experience a Passover. He wasn't going to tell these guys who came looking to see what Besam English is, now you can't because you're uh, Tome, you know, he said, We're going to do it. That's it. And he allowed Levies to participate in the avoda, a whole big NCSY ceremony. Uh, and it was very successful. The Post says there in Devi that God approved. So it was a Arashah again. So you have two Horoshahs. You got uh, Yoshua, you got Chisio, and possibly the one in the desert as well. Uh, and then finally, you got Yoshi Yahu, who is one of the last kings of the south of the Judah, who started out not from because his father and grandfather were super wicked. But then he flipped somewhere along the line. Um, I think he started at the age of eight, if I remember correctly. And he got from around the age of 16, or, or he began to. He began to. And uh, I have a theory that I've shared before why it happened, but I don't want to go into it now. Let's just say he got from, and by the time he's uh, in his 30s, he's on a super anti avod kick, because they were in the story where they found the Torah scroll and the the, Viyar, the prophetess, Chul predicted from this that the end is near, which was true. And, uh, you know, they've used the Baldur Zuchusim, and uh, there's no slack. And he responded to that by trying to do a full shuvah to undo the uh, upcoming doom. And one of the things he did was go all throughout Israel, back and forth, up and down, getting rid of all these idols. This is the haftarah that if, if we were having services, which we're not this year, you'd be reading on, um, on, on uh, Pesach. And, uh, I mean, it's crazy. He went around and cleaned up the Beis HaMikdash. He knocked down the chambers of the male prostitutes that were in the Beis HaMikdash that were used by the people uh, under the previous kings. In other words, it wasn't simply they didn't practice Judaism. They went the other extreme. It was like California or something like that. And um, the result was that uh, he got everybody on a, on, a, on a roll to be from, and they made a Karm peso and he and the nobles provided free food, so people came. There was no problem with the with the goodies, and it concludes by saying it's a long passage. Read the haftorah. I assume you'll have your machzor at home, for better or worse, and you'll read the uh, the passages. And it says very famously, in lochem base," which is what we read from when we have the Haftorahs, because all the Haftorahs are from thevim, never from ktsuvim. It says, nasa <inaudible> Yisrael of which is a strange Pesach. A Pesach like this had never been had since the time of the Shoftim. Right? Ever since the Shoftim ruled, Asher Shofto, it's Yisrael. And all through the Malchi Yisrael Malchihuda, which means that the Passover of King Josiah of Yoshio surpassed anything that was done from the time of the Shoftim. So, for whatever reason, it was greater than that was done by Shlomo and David and Shaul. Even though they were very from guys. WML's Pesach, I imagine, was a Pesach. And uh Yoshios outdid it. He outdid that of Kriskyo, even though you would think not, because uh really gave it his full effort. Like I said before, he pulled it pulled out all the stops. He even did two weeks, you know, to be Makara people. And it says Yoshios surpassed it. So what's this reference to the time of the Shoftim? Uh, let me put it this way. If you read this literally well, let, let me read you, there's a parallel verse. There, that's one verse I just read you. I'll, re- I'll repeat it, and then listen to the parallel verse in the Book of Chronicles, the Deva The one in Malachim says, Ki nasa shoftim shoftas Yisrael b'chol There's such a pace that never been done ever since the time of the Shoftim who ruled, who judged Israel, and beyond, and after that, the kings of, of Yehuda and Yisrael. But in Deva Yomim, in chapter 35 it says the following words. Which means that there had never been a Pesach that was done ever since the time of the Shmuel HaNavi, the prophet Samuel. In taking in all the Malachi Israel, no one did a Pesach like this. Uh, with uh, Yoshio being there and the Kohanim and Levim and all of Yehuda and Yisrael now, what does this mean? Uh, is this to be understood literally? That no one had done Pesach since the time of uh, Shemuel? You know, when you get to Nehemia, they have a Pesach I you got connection with Sukkot. Remember? you right? With Sukkot, Is that nobody did Sukkot since the time of whatever it was. Uh, was it Shlomo or something like that? Uh, uh, since the time of Yahushua, excuse me that uh, Nechemia did, a, Ezra Nechemia made a circus, and this has not been practiced since Yeshua. Sure. So there are ways of getting out of that. Here also it says, no, a Pesach like this has never been done uh, since the time of Shemuel Novi. Now, it doesn't say no Pesach have been done, it's a Pesach like this. So, it's Mashmo like the and those types, you know, who say a uh, Pesach with such enthusiasm, and such tahara, and, uh, you know, uh, diktuk, had never been done since the time of Shmuel. It could be, you know. Even though it's kind of funny, you would think WML, for example, would know how to run a a a a, a kosher pesach in conformity with the VAD and the uh, CRC. But nevertheless, that's what it says. Uh, it could be it was never done with such legal punctitude, uh, you know. Because by Cheskyo, for example, it's uh, you know he he bent a lot of rules, a lot of shah Here by by Yoshio, there were no shahs. I might not be right about that, because there's a whole separate debate, which will get us too far afield. In the time of Yoshioho, it's not clear whether or not the ten tribes had come back. Uh, That's a strange and weird Parsha. In other words, as we all know, there were twelve tribes, thirteen tribes, and then they broke into two kingdoms and fought each other tragically. And then the northern kingdom of the ten tribes, as they say, was, was wiped down, carried off by Ashur and never seen again. But there's a counter tradition, strange one, in the Gemara, which says that uh, in the time of Yoshio, they were brought back. Now, the question is, where are they? If they're brought back, so why don't we have 12 tribes? There's Ramban, I remember seeing in uh, Gittin somewhere, where he said, well, they, they went exiled exile later on, back, back again, those are closer to the original problem. But okay, I mean, you know, if he, he knows better than us, if that's the case, that's the case. But it doesn't seem that way, you know. Uh, on the other hand, if the whole the tribes aren't there, there's even a question that, according to Rambam whether you do karm pesach altogether. Maybe need yerusha be yeshiva, which means all the tribes, the same way they do by the Truman and the other things. Okay, but let's leave that aside. For some reason or another, Yoshio's, um pesach was like super duper. Now uh, uh, there's a, I so I'm, I'm looking at the at the uh, what do you call mikris Gedolas, you know. Especially now, the art school came out with, the, with, with almost the whole set. It's a Machay read for me. The Dibrayamim uh, over there, uh, which they did before the, the Megillus, that was good. Uh, you know, and everything's Manuka, the way I like it. And I saw Chidah, says, uh, what's it got? Mecha I think it's called. Uh, the Chidah says, I'm very interesting. He's not the only one. There was a, him and another one. Uh, that they never did it with such Gilu Bir Adah. Uh, with such serious simcha remember this Pesach that King Yoshio celebrated was done under the gun the Neviah Khulda had predicted doom she said that basically your luck is run out God is f- fed up with all your Avodah and you're all going to be wiped out very soon and uh, the people knew it and his celebrating of a super duper Pesach was by way of saying listen we have to really do a Pesach if, if, if we're going to like do Chuba and undo this prophecy of doom. And so imagine, uh, in, under such circumstances, it's not a happy-go-lucky simcha. Um, it's a little bit like now in the coronavirus. You know, in other words, it's not something you not celebrating in a Pesach hotel, you know, uh, simcha shall, uh, you know, uh, easy times. It's a simcha of serious times. And uh, therefore, simcha then is a very serious matter. As I said all over and over again, simcha can be serious. We think of frivolity and entertainment. Entertainment is not identical with simcha. Entertainment is a you know a more frothy and uh, you know frivolous thing that the, and the, the litmus test is once it's over, it's over. It's nothing to remember. Simcha is something that you have memories of. But whatever, that's just an interesting uh, way of looking at it. But what's this reference? in the Pesach I just read you, to Shmuel HaNavi, the prophet Samuel, where's Pesach mentioned by Shmuel? It said, in Hanavi." the last time a Pesach, like, like uh, um, Yoshio had been performed, was the time of Shmuel HaNavi. Really? I mean, I read Shmuel, you read Shmuel. There's no Pesach mentioned in the book of Samuel, uh, neither Shmuel Alph, nor Shmuel Base. What's this? The best some of Farshim can say is, if you read closely, book of Shmuel Alf, there is a place where After the Battle of Ofek, when the Philistines uh, capture the Ark, kill Havni and Pinchas, it leads to the death of uh, Eli. They destroy the of Shiloh, so it was a disaster. So in the aftermath of that disaster, the Jewish people turned to Shmuel, who now came on his own, and he persuaded them to have like a mass repentance movement and get rid of their idols and all that, And, and as a result, they defeated the Philistines. It's all in the first half of the Book of Shmuel. Uh, but really, it doesn't say anything about Pesach. But is it's about Pesach. Uh, how, how would you, you know, where do you see that? I'll tell you something. You can see it. We all remember the story of the war in Shal and Amalek, obviously, right? When Shal captures, destroys Amalek, but he leaves Agog alive. So, you know, Pasha Uh Well, how does the story go by, by, by Shal and Amalek? God says, go away Ben Amalek. And Saul musters an army? and counts them on Pesach. You say, really? Where does it say that? Well, the Pesach says, in chapter 15, it says, V'yishamah Shaul Sa'am, Shaul uh, mobilized an army to fight Amalek, V'yifkidim b'Tlo'im, Mosayim Elf Ragli, V'asera Salafim Esi Shehuda. And he mobilized an army in a place called Tlo'im. That, I'm giving you the shot. V'yifkidim b'Tlo'im, he mobilized an army in a place called I'm, I'm sorry, I'll start again. By Shama Shol mobilized the people. By Yifkidim Batloim, and he counted them in a place called Tloim, and he found out that he had Mosayim El 200,000 infantry, by Sarasom another 10,000 from Judah. Why they're mentioned separately, is a separate thing. So, okay, where's that got to do a Pesach? That's true. Listen to this. The Targum Yonasan, which is the oldest commentary, says that, what does it mean, by Yifkidim Batolim, Ukunash Shaul Yosama, Shaul mustered the people, Omanina, um, and he them the them, Be'imri Pishaya, with the uh, sheep of the Karim Pesachs, Masayin al and that's how he knew he had 200,000 men and so forth. Which means, Shaul was a me. he didn't do what David did later on make a census, rather, if he wanted to know how many people he has in the army in order to know how to organize this fight against Amalek, what he did was, uh, he said like this, come to me for Pesach, and either you will all have an animal or I will provide animals, different Mepharshim, say, in different ways, and, uh, you know, each guy who takes an animal, I'll know that that's another unit. So he had 200,000 carbon pesach, according to this, for the sheep of the carbon Pesach, which, by the way, if you interpret it that way, means Saul had an army much larger than 200,000 men. He was able to give out 200,000 sheep for Pesach. Let's, say he t- let, let's go with the Mepharshim, we say he took it out of his own money. According to this, Saul, when he became king, was a millionaire, a zillionaire. And so he had a lot of sheep, and he, and he had no problem giving out a free one to everybody who joins the army. And that means that each guy that joined the army who took a sheep, he obviously had his family with him, or friends. So he had, you know what I mean, it's a tachosu al So he had multiples of 200,000 foot soldiers, which means he had a massive army, much larger than 200,000. But that's just interesting. That means before attacking a Amalek, Shaul celebrates Passover. Why would he do that? In other words, get this straight. If you follow that targum Yonison, then the famous war of Mog takes on Pesach. They perform the carbon Pesach ritual. You now Shaul musters an army. He uh, counts them uh, surreptitiously, slyly, by giving out carbon Pesach. They shecht and do the carbon Pesach. They have a seder, and then after that. The next day, or the day after, whatever. No, it was on Pesach, they attack and crush Amalek. Because, as you know, he defeated Amalek. Uh, that's interesting. It sounds like there's something... Let, let me put it this way. According to Targum Yonason, why is that... According to Tarim Yonison, Tlaim means that. So, why is the account... Why is the book of Shemuel? Why is the Torah of to tell you that Shalb gave out and counted uh, carbon Pesach? Sounds like there's some connection, right? Between... Karim Pesek on the one hand, and fighting Amalek, Mohammed Amalek on the other hand. Uh, that's just very suggestive. And, if you, if, if you give a little bit of thought to it, by the way, Rabbi Gorm wants to have a whole thing about counting how many people there were in the army. He gets to get military. That part was uh, screwy. But the Makaris are true. Now listen to this. Uh, because this occurred to me. So Saul defeats Amalek. He screws up by leaving survivors, as we know the famous story. Who is the one, thousand years later, who's a messah the mistake of Saul? The answer is Queen Esther. When does Queen Esther fight uh, Haman? On Pesach. At the same time, Saul attacked Amalek on Pesach. Esther attacked Haman on Pesach. You know what I'm talking about. When she does the three-day fast that goes into Pesach, it's by Bayavar Mordechai. The Gemara says, he said, this year is no no peso We're skipping the Seder. Somewhat along, not the same way you and I are doing this year, because we're not skipping the Seder, but you know what I mean, we're skipping the normal Seder, because most people have their family with them, and their friends, and this and that and the other. Unfortunately, due to the corona situation, you're having very isolated uh, Saddam. A lot of people, it's not funny, you know, I mean, I, I know, I'm the rabbi business, a lot of people are going to have a, a lonely Seders. Uh, so, that, in the time of Esther, uh, they didn't do the Seder, they did the, the, the fasting. Tsuma how's it go? Shlosh some king The you know, Esther did the the, the fight on, on Pesach. So if you follow that chazal if you follow the Targum Yonasan, meaning if you follow what what I've been what I've been saying, then um, Esther is the fourth or maybe the fifth Pesach mentioned Tanach. Uh, in turn of him let's count them up. What I just did, you got the one in Bamidbar, you got the one in Yoshua, then according to this, you got the one with Melchamasamak with, with King Saul. Then you got Chizkio, that's number four. Then you got Yoshi Yahoo, it's number five, and then you got Queen Esther, is number six. It comes out according to my calculation, six pesachs uh, mentioned directly or indirectly. Again, I'm going out pichazal, directly or in, indirectly. In the Tanakh, each of which has a, a funny character to it, right? The last one, the sixth one, that will be Queen Esther's sixth one, is a Gullus Passover. Notice there's no carbon Pesach. Like like you and I today. In her time, first of all she lived in Kutzlarts and Shushanabir, but second of all, they had better things in their mind than a carbon Pesach. They had to, to 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 dive their heads off. Uh, but on the other hand that Passover which was a skipped Pesach did succeed in doing the Makir because she wiped out a uh, Haman and the whole family. And they also did King of Kibble, which means bad for a day's work. Let's put it that way. So the question then becomes and I leave you with this for a Seder discussion. Because as like I said before, this year people are gonna have to do some thinking if you have adults there. What to talk what to consider perhaps in a broader fashion. You have a lot of possibilities out there. I'm just sharing one possibility with you. Why is Pesach a good time to fight a Moloch? But that's what comes out from the story of, uh, of King Saul and uh, the story of uh, perhaps in some way Yoshio, because they say his thing was equal to, hadn't been done since the time of, of, of um, Shmuel. So in the time of Yoshio, they're not exactly fighting a Moloch, but perhaps they're fighting the Amalekite religion. I'm not sure because it's, it goes. It lists in great detail all the idols and stuff like that that Yoshua got rid of more than any other king. He went to this neighbor and he went to this place, and that place. You take a look over there in the 22nd chapter of Muhammad, I think it is, and uh, my, or 23rd, and they are uh, going through a whole business over there, you know, of the the, the sun gods that were held by Yoshua, the, the mayor of the city, and is in great detail. And then you have Queen Esther who is uh, choosing, not by choosing, but circumstances so render it that she has to go and fight uh, Haman successfully um, on uh, on uh, Pesach, as we all know. So there's something happens between Pesach on the one hand and Milcham Esamolik on the other. Could this have anything to do with the famous teaching that says Benisa Niglu, Benisa that the Mashiach is supposed to come on, um, on Pesach time? Uh, is the battle with Amalek or the battle of Gogol or something like that in there? These are a couple of broad themes that I'm throwing at you uh, by way of suggestion. And as I said before, this ain't—I don't call this Shabbos Hagadol talk because obviously it's not. But it's a, a few crumbs for post-Shabbos Hagadol thinking. With that, I wish you a happy holiday. I, if I have a chance, I'll try to do something about the Seder. I don't know. You know I'm busy, you know, in, in in my business over here, just like you are over there. We'll see how it happens. But meanwhile, assuming that I don't, I wish you Chakash that's got to be the words we use this year,